like to welcome everyone about this evening, especially our visitor. And we, we hope that everything that you see here this evening, that you might know that we try to do everything in, in spirit and in truth. So what we mean by that is everything that we do this evening, we find authority for from God's Word. And if there's anything that we do that, that you might have questions about, we hope that you would feel honored, and, and, or we would be honored if you would feel free to ask, uh, ask us a question about that. You might have guessed we're going to be talking about courage this evening. Be strong and courageous. That is uh, the title of our sermon. Courage is something that, that we, all, we all desire to have, but sometimes it doesn't come about in quite the ways that we, uh, that we desire. There it is, it's hiding on me. It doesn't come about quite how we, we desire for it. Sometimes it's, it's a little harder for us to develop this idea of courage. And it's definitely something that has to be developed. It's not something that we just most people are simply born with. Now it does seem that some uh, do have the ability to be born without that maybe common sense fear. And sometimes we equate that to courage. You know, my, my boys would be the first ones oftentimes to, to dive right off the edge of the couch thinking they can fly. And that's not exactly courage. That's just they haven't quite learned the, the concept of gravity yet. But no, courage is something that we all work up to. And it's something that's a necessity for, for a Christian. We see that in, in battle, soldiers have to have courage. You know, a, a soldier that, that was quick to, uh, to turn and run, that was faint-hearted, they wouldn't be much uh, use in a battle. In the same ways, Christians have to have courage in their fight for faith. In 1 Timothy 6.12, we read, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We, we read this, these words of Paul here talking to Timothy, encouraging him to have courage. If you will, he was trying to build up his courage. And again, in 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 4, <clears throat> he writes back to him, still Paul writing to Timothy saying, I have fought the good fight. This is Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. The reason for Paul's courage, the end result of Paul's courage was his faith that one day he would be rewarded by the righteous judge and not only him alone, but all the others who, who have loved the Lord. <clears throat> so we see that <clears throat> courage is definitely something that is necessity of Christians. It's, it's the strength, so to speak, of a Christian. Spiritual strengths include things such as steadfastness and bravery, Faith and honesty. And as I said before, these aren't things that, that just merely happen by accident. They're things that are developed over time. But we need to remember, if you, want, if you will turn to uh, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, we need to remember that God, He has no use for someone that has no courage. He has no use for cowards. In Hebrews 10, uh, verse 38, we read, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in them. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So God's not looking for someone who's going to draw back. God's not looking for someone who's going to stand off and let, let everyone else try to do the fighting. He wants for someone that has courage, for someone who's going to stand up for Him. <clears throat> Joshua 1, 
I'm going to put this up on the board too. Joshua 1 verses 8 through 9. We read a, a, a great deal about courage. We read, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do accordingly to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now there's three things that I like to see that I notice from this passage that I like to point out. The first one being is that courage is commanded. Courage is not something that, that God just simply wishes for us to have. Courage is something that God expects for us to have. As he says in verse 9, have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage? So when times get hard, it's very easy from our society, we, we like to kind of, we tell the boys sometimes, say, well, if, if that's too hard, you, you don't have to do it right now. And maybe we'll just don't worry about that. Somebody else will do it. We have that attitude sometimes in life. But we can't have that attitude with God. When things are hard, when things seem tough, we have to have courage to press forward and do what is expected of us. The second thing I see is, if, is, is that He's going to pledge His support for us. If we have this courage, He goes on to say, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, <clears throat> for the Lord your God is with you. He is with you wherever you go. So yes, we have to have courage, but that courage is not courage based upon our own abilities. It's based on the fact that God is going to be with us throughout these trials. And the third point that I see from this is that He gives assurance of success. We read in verse, at the end of verse eight, where he says, "For then you will make your way, excuse me, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." So if we have courage for God, and God backs us, He guarantees our success in things. It sounds uh, very familiar to a passage we'll, we'll get to in a minute, but in Romans, we read that if God be for us, who can be against us? We can have that courage because of that. So Christian lives must be built on a foundation of courage. But there's two components of courage they must be built upon. The first one being a good conscience. If you want to turn over to Hebrews 10, <clears throat> we were just at, we, were, we might still be there. <laughs> Hebrews 10, verses 22 through 24, where we read, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And we see here is with a good conscience, that is saying having, knowing that you have obeyed God, we can, we can have this, this conscience that's sprinkled and, and cleansed of the evil conscience. And that's one component to making up this good courage, but we have to remember, Proverbs 28 says we have to do it for the right reason. <clears throat> in Proverbs 28, in verse 1, we read, the wicked, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. We have to make sure that we're doing it for the right reason. We have to be doing what is right. You know, this idea was brought up in class. Carl brought this idea up in class that those who, who are rob and steal, they have to live their life looking over their shoulder have to live their life wondering, is someone possibly going to bust down the door and come in here and arrest me? Or maybe worse than that, going to want their stuff back and come in and take it by force. 
You know, the, the wicked have to live this life looking over their shoulder. And the same goes to the Christian. If we are not living right, if we are not righteous, we can't have that courage of God because we have that ever, ever persistent fear looking over our shoulder wondering, are we truly saved? Are, are, are we truly protected by God when we are not living the way He prescribes? Another thing that we see that is required for courage is, is that of trust. Trusting God. In Romans 8, the passage that I, that I referenced just a minute ago, we read how, how if God be for us, there's nothing that can stand against us. Romans 8, reading from verse 31 to 39. Who, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all, th- all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is trust. This is the kind of trust that a Christian should have for God. And with this kind of trust and a good conscience are the two main components that allows us to have courage. And over in Proverbs 29, <clears throat> we see that, that we have to put God first. If we're really trusting Him, we have to put Him first and foremost in our life. In verse 25, The fear of a man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So, so trusting God is that second component of, of courage. But both of the above components, they come with study of God's Word. One must study to, to build faith. One must study to build understanding on how to obey the Lord. One must study to learn more of God and develop a greater uh, appreciation for Him and a greater trust in Him. So, so what I want to do now is let's study where we can get our sources of courage from, the courage that God has commanded us to have. And the first thing that I want to look at is we can get it directly from God. We can get it right from God. First, we can get it from God the Father. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, it's up there. First Samuel uh, 30, verse 6. We read, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his son and his daughters. But David strengthened himself... In the Lord his God. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the Lord his God. The context of 1 Samuel 30 is, 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 pretty, is pretty sad. The, David had led these men out. When they came back, they realized that their families, their, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone had been taken, had been kidnapped. And now David has all these warriors who have looked to him and they, he has led them out just to return them home and their families are gone. And they're talking about stoning him. And I imagine David was scared. I can't imagine him not being scared at a time like this. Yet, it says that he strengthened himself 
in the Lord his God. He knew God had a purpose. God had a plan for him. And he put his faith and trust in God. He got his courage from God. We can also see that we can get our courage from, from Jesus, from the Son. In John 16.33, where we read, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. We think of Jesus not as some separated deity that doesn't know the pains and the trials that we've dealt with in this life, but as a deity that made Himself human, that came to this earth and lived and, and suffered the way that we live and suffer. And having overcome everything, we can take great courage in knowing that He, as we read earlier, is, is standing intercessing for us to the Father. So we can certainly take courage from the Son. And we can also take courage from the Holy Spirit in Romans 15, verses 4-5, through 5, we read, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. <clears throat> the, the Holy Spirit is, is directly involved in, in what has been written and what has been inspired. And so much courage can be withdrawn from His words. And there's so many other ways that... that that we can draw courage from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But these were three ways that I thought of that we can draw courage directly from them. Another way that we can draw courage is through prayer. If you want to turn back over to Hebrews. <clears throat> Hebrews, the fourth chapter, in verse 16, where we read, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Help in time of need. Time when we need courage. Time when we, when we are in need of something, we can come boldly before the Lord. When it, maybe it's in preaching the Gospel. I know, I know that's, something that, that, that's probably something I need the most courage in, is to preach the Gospel. I can come boldly before the Lord. And as Ephesians 6 says, I, I can pray with all boldness for opportunities. Let's turn over there real quick to Ephesians <clears throat> The sixth chapter. Ephesians 6 and verse 19. And for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in, if it, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. When we think of Paul as he, as he is requesting this, requesting prayer for him to have courage, he was someone that needed courage at that time of his life. As he says an ambassador in chains, he has been imprisoned. On the behalf, all because of his faith, his trust in God. He's went all the way to prison and he's saying still, give me opportunities. Pray that when opportunities arrive, I have the courage that I can still preach the gospel. So prayer is obviously one way that we can, we can gain courage. Another way that I think of is association. Association with brethren. <clears throat> if we want to flip back over to Hebrews 10, we, we see the, the importance of associating with one another. In verse 24, "...and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much the more as you see the day approaching." Not forsaking the assembling. Now so oftentimes we want to say not forsaking the assembly. And want to say, well this is, this is a commandment that we have to be in church. But that's not what he was saying here. When the brothers and sisters get together... When they come together, that's an, they have assembled. 
They are assembling, and we need to not forsake that assembling. We need to come together too. Because, as we see in Hebrews 3, not only do we see that it's to, in order to stir up love and good works, but it's Hebrews 3 and verse 13, we read, But exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. <clears throat> this is to build one another up. This is to encourage one another to have courage. Encourage is to inspire. Inspire with courage, hope, and spirit. Faithful attendances to the services and study and worship, that, that revives the soul. <clears throat> Christians are, are, are to do this. They are to do this sort of thing, this, ex, this exhorting, this encouraging. And, and they're to do it daily. You know, we are to be given daily or continually in working towards this end. And also we see that it's preventative. As we read, lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. Not only are we building one another up, but we are helping to prevent errors from coming into one another's lives. Another verse, uh, I don't have it up here, but uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore comfort each other. Edify one another just as you are also doing. So just another point to where we are, we are to come together and to help build one another up and comfort one another. And then I think of Acts 28 and verse 15. Some of the followers in Rome heard about us and came to meet us at the market of Apias and at the three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and was encouraged. You might think that you don't offer much when we come together. You might think that, well, there's not a whole lot that I'm able to do. There's not a whole lot that, that, that I'm able to get up and maybe I can't get up. I'm not comfortable leading singing or I'm not comfortable leading a prayer. Just being here. It says Paul was encouraged by the fact that the brethren came from Rome. Just being here. I tell Miss Cole, I pick on her all the time. It's such an encouragement when I see her. I'm so happy to see her every time that I see her. It's encouraging for us to see one another. So association with brethren is yet another source of this courage. <clears throat> now I want to give you some examples of courage that I've seen throughout the Bible and ways that they uh, worked on or, or showed courage in ways that we can use it today. The first one is Noah. In Genesis 6, <clears throat> we read uh, something really interesting about Noah. Noah, he was the minority. He was very, very much so the minority. We've been reading through this in our Bible study or in our, our, our Bible reading. But Genesis six verse eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord had just as we just talked about how the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. But Noah was the only one mentioned as having found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Then in verse seven, verse or chapter seven, verse one. Then the Lord said to Noah, "Come into the ark, you and all your household." Because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Noah was in the minority. Noah was, was the only one that we read had found grace, had found, some versions say, made, or found pleasure in the eyes of the Lord. God's people have always seemed to, to be in the minority. I think back uh, to Elijah. <clears throat> Elijah in 1 Kings 8. When Elijah goes before King Ahab, when you think of the, the context of that story, when, when uh, Elijah sees Obadiah and he says, tell King Ahab I'm coming. He says, I can't do that. He's going to kill me. 
He, he, I was supposed to kill all the prophets of the Lord and, and I, he thinks that I did it, but really I hit them all. I can't go tell him that you're still alive. He says, don't worry. At this point in time, the prophets of the Lord, the, the, the true followers of, of God were very much the minority. They were very much the minority at this point. In fact, Baal had completely taken over at this point. Yet Elijah, in the minority, shows that having courage... God was with him. When he goes forward and goes to Ahab, and Ahab says, you troubler of Israel. And he says, no, you're the troubler of Israel, having allowed this to happen. Let's, let's set up a challenge, and let's build a, the two altars, and you kill your bull, and I'll kill my bull, and let's see who the real God is. We see great courage in Elijah, and in the, in the case um, with Baal, and, and facing off against the, the king, of, uh, king Ahab and the Baal worshippers. We also see in 2 Timothy 4.16, if we want to flip over there real quick, Paul, how oftentimes Paul was, was in the minority. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 4.16 says, And at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsake me. May it not be charged against them. Even amongst his brethren, everyone deserted him. He was in the minority. At his first defense, he was in the minority. So there's times to, uh, that, that Paul also is a minority. And even today, in Luke 13, we read that <clears throat> we ourselves, we're going to be the minority. Luke 13, <clears throat> and in verse 23. Luke 13, 23, where we read, uh, then, then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Christians are still going to be in the minority. We're still going to be a part of the few that are striving, that, that are going to go through the narrow gate. But God still expects the same for us that He expected for them. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 read, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. <clears throat> God still expects us to have courage even when we're in the minority. Another example of courage that I see is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. We see them when, when, when uh, they, they refuse the king's uh, commands. They, they will not change uh, the way they worship. And we see that that required a great deal of courage to, to face even their own death. They wouldn't even pretend, as it says, to worship the idol. But they overcame with God's help. As we remember in verses 43-45, through 45, we remember how they overcame. How they were thrown into the fiery furnace, but still were... We're saved. We're spared. Christians today are going to have to face the same thing. Sometimes it's not as, as prevalent as that. And, and thankfully in our country, we don't deal with a government that would, that would execute us simply because we won't follow the, the religion that they have chosen is going to be the national religion. But get Christians today may have to face up to civil governments. And we need to have that same courage. We need to have, have to be able to overcome the way the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. And Joseph, in Genesis thirty-nine, <clears throat> let's go over here. Genesis thirty-nine and uh, verse six. 
We read, uh, we read of the account where Joseph was with, um, with Potiphar's wife. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Joseph, I want to make sure I was in the right place before I kept going. Joseph was with Potiphar's wife, and she was really striving to, to seduce him. And in verse 6 we read, Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So Potiphar had given him trust over everything. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can, can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed, um, heed her to lie heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside and she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. Now how easy would it have been for Joseph just to say, nobody knows. Nobody's here. None of the men are there. My, my master doesn't. He's given me charge over everything. He's not home. It would have been so easy for Joseph to, to be cowardly and just give in. What we read is he says is he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he ran outside. He literally tore himself away from her so fast that she was able to pull his garment off. We need to have the same type of courage that Joseph had when we faced temptations of our own. We see that he could have sinned, but he knew that God was watching. And he had the courage to say no because that he trusted in God, because that he knew the consequences that God, that God had set into his life. And we see that God does the same for us. He cares enough for us. As we talked about Jesus coming to this world and knowing what we're going through, we know that we can have faith in 1 Corinthians 10 when we read in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may, that you may be able to bear it. We can have courage when we, have, when we face temptations because we can know that we have a way of escape. We can know that no temptation will be placed upon us that we're not able to overcome. And imagine Joseph right now has to be thinking, God must really think a lot about me because that's a pretty big temptation that he's put in, in front of me. But he knows that I can handle that. He knows that I, can, that I can flee this temptation. We need to consider that and remember that when we, when we are needing courage. Another example of courage that I can't help but think of is Nathan. In 2 Samuel 12... <clears throat> if we want to turn over there, we're going to spend a, a little bit more time here. But in 2 Samuel 12, we read of Nathan and the courage that he showed when he, when he rebukes David. When he goes to David and tells him what, what he's doing is wrong. And, he, and we can dr derive this same courage when we have to go out into the world and we have to rebuke a sinner or to teach someone the truth. You know, it's much easier to overlook. It's much easier to forget sins. <clears throat> But in 1 Samuel 12, specifically down in uh, verse, excuse me, in verse 13. Uh, I apologize. No, in verse, uh, I've lost my place. I'm sorry. In verse 6, 
Uh, starting in verse 5. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who had done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Now we see Nathan's courage. Going before the king. Going for the man that has the power to end his life with the just snap of his finger, and they could take his life. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have given much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in His sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house and I will, I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. You know, <clears throat> this has been this recurring theme in the Scriptures <clears throat> Excuse me. This recurring theme of the scriptures that that we, men have had to deal with, that, that we have had to deal with this courage in rebuking, and it's always so much easier. Uh, Ezekiel verses three one through eleven. If we want to turn over there, I see that one place that we see, and just kind of hold your place here in Second Samuel because we're going to come right back to it. But uh, <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter three. Verse 1 through 11. We read, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, go and go, speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate it, and it was, it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them, for you are not sent to the people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people, but of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, those words who cannot understand. Surely I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel will not listen to you, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong <clears throat> against their faces, and your forehead strong against their foreheads, like adamant stone, harder than flint. I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears, and go get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them, Thus says the Lord of God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. Whether they hear or whether they refuse. He was saying, I know this is going to be hard and, I, and they're probably not going to hear it all. They're probably not going to listen. But you go to them and you tell them the truth. That same idea again early in the New Testament over in Mark. <clears throat> Mark 6 and, and verse 16 or verse 18. We read, because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. We know what's going on here. John the Baptist has just went to King Herod and said, said, your wife Herodias, who's actually your brother's wife, it's not lawful for you to have her. And we see the outcome of that. 
And he had to know going into that situation that he was risking his life. That his life was on the line and it would have been so much easier to say, I'm not going to say nothing. What's one person? What is one person in the grand scheme of things? I'm going to bite my tongue and I'm going to let him go on his way. He's done a lot of other evil things. He probably won't hear it. I'm just going to bite my tongue. John the Baptist showed courage when he stood up and said, no, what you're doing is wrong and you need to know about it. In Galatians 2, just yet another example that we see of, of being courageous when going and telling those who are lost or who are in sin. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I, this is Paul, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. This was Peter the Apostle. Peter the Apostle, someone we really wouldn't expect to have to rebuke. Paul is rebuking him for the way that he was treating the Gentiles. How he would treat the Gentiles one way when no one was around, but when, when, uh, when other Jews came around, he wouldn't eat with them. And doing so to the detriment of those around him and even to Barnabas. Dragging Barnabas into his sin, Peter goes to him, just as Nathan went to David, and said, what you're doing is wrong. And that takes courage. But it also takes courage to do as David did and say, you know what? You're right. You're right. What I'm doing is wrong. <clears throat> what I've done is, is a sin against the Lord. That's exactly what we see David say. In verse 13 of chapter 12, if you held your finger there in 2 Samuel, we see in verse 13, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sins. You shall not die. We see David openly, excuse me, openly admitting that, that he is wrong. And sometimes... This takes more courage than going to someone and telling them they're wrong. It takes more courage to say, you're right. I've messed up. But anything else is the cowardly way to react. Anything else is a way to show that you don't truly have trust in God when the truth is set in front of you and you know it's the truth and to say, no, no, that, that can't be. And to, to not, not uh, repent. It's just simply wrong. <clears throat> so... With all this in mind, where does that leave us? That, that, that shows us that, that courage, in recaps, courage is something that God requires of us. Courage is something that God has commanded us. It's something that we can, that we can get studying His Word. It comes directly from Him through prayer, through association with His fellow brethren, or with our fellow brethren. It, it, it comes... <clears throat> It came to Noah when he was the minority, and it can come to us when we were the minority. It came to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when, when they were, were faced with a government that was saying, you have to do this our way. And they had the courage to say, no, we're going to still stay in God's way. It came to Joseph when he was facing temptation. And it can come to us when we face temptation. And it came to Nathan, and it came to David when he was dealing with rebuking a sinner and with admitting wrongs in our life. So I want to ask you, is there something in your life is there something that has happened in your life where, where maybe you felt like, I need courage? You know, this morning we talked about baptism. I can't think of something that requires greater courage than baptism. Baptism is one of the most unlogical things for a human being to understand. We think of Naaman when he, went, when he wanted to be healed. And he said, go wash in the river. I said, what? Dung myself in water? No, do you see what's on me? Water isn't going to wash this off. It's so easy for us to think 
Do you see what's on my hands? Do you see the sins of my life? Water isn't going to wash this off. And you're right, it's not. But obedience to God, being buried in that water, and coming in contact with the blood of Christ, that is. Maybe it be your will this this evening to become a Christian, to, to be saved, to have your sins washed away. I encourage you not to wait. Don't put it off. Maybe you've become a Christian, but you've, you've fallen short in the idea of courage or in some other way. There's something that you'd like the congregation here to know. Whatever your, will may be, or whatever your need may be, I encourage you, come forward now as we sing the song of invitation.